Good morning. It is Kale and Company live for a Monday. Great to have you along with us at 1450 AM WKXL 1039 in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. And uh, we welcome back the head football coach at the University of New Hampshire, Rick Santos. Rick, how are you this Monday morning? I'm doing well, Ken. Thanks for having me again. Well, it is uh, our pleasure, Rick, and uh, the Wildcats returned from their bye week and dropped a 40-34 to decision to the Spiders of Richmond on Saturday in Virginia. And uh, your thoughts on that one, Coach? Yeah, I thought it was a, a really hard-fought contest all the way to the end. Uh, we started off really slow. You know, we were down 24 nothing in that game. You know, we had four three-and-outs on offense. We just we were really inefficient on first down, uh, so it became tough. We were in obvious passing situations way too much. You know, we prided ourselves on running the football very effectively all year, and we simply weren't able to do that uh, because we were kind of behind the sticks. Uh, but I give our guys credit, you know, on the last play of the half, we threw a Hail Mary-type play. Um, where Haran Marisol jumped over a defender and caught it to, to cut the lead to 24-7. to uh, And then I thought we played really inspired football in the second half, you know, scored three touchdowns on offense, had a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown with Dylan Lobby. So, you know, we cut we cut the game to three with eight minutes to go and, and gave ourselves a shot and then ultimately came up short. We had a Hail Mary attempt on the last play of the game uh, that just got tipped and fell to the ground. So, you know, obviously it, it hurts to lose. Um, and it was a really big moment for our guys. We had a little bit of performance anxiety early, but I think being in that moment is only going to help us finish the season strong. Well, as, as you mentioned, Coach, the uh, Spiders scored the first uh, 24 points of that ball game on Saturday before the uh, Wildcats uh, got on the scoreboard with that Hail Mary as time was running out in the first half. Uh, do you feel uh, that, that your slow start in that game had anything to do with the, the two-week layoff? You know, yeah, I mean, obviously, you're always, I'm always going to be critical of myself and try to figure out what I could have done better, uh, you know, as the leader of this organization. And you know, I thought we were pretty nicked up going into it. So, you know, we practiced, you know, twice during the bye, once on Sunday. So we, we got three solid practices in. But, I mean, it must have been a little bit, you know, a little bit of that just kind of malaise from, from being off for that long. Obviously, we had a ton of momentum winning three in a row. So, you know, obviously frustrating to do that, but... You know, for me, I'm an eternal optimist. I always look at the, the bright side, and I'm really, really proud that our guys didn't quit. Well, that certainly is a good way to be. As uh, as you mentioned, UNH uh, outscored Richmond 20-13 to in a wild third quarter and then uh, held the Spiders to just a field goal in the fourth quarter. So uh, can, can you take uh, any consolation that your your team battled to the finish against a, a very talented opponent? Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, for us, with this, you know, each and every year, you know, your group is independent of the last few, you know, the last years, and there's always going to be new puzzle pieces in there. So we hadn't been in this type of environment late in the year in November with championship implications on the line together collectively. So, um, you know, we fought hard, didn't quit, and now, you know, we can use that. Um, you know, I like to say to our guys all the time, you know, you either win or you learn. You know, there should be no failure. The only way you fail is if you continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. So for us, we got to – we got a little bit of slice of humble pie. Uh, we got to take that. The guys were great yesterday taking corrections. They wanted to be coached. Um, nobody was hanging their head, which was awesome. And then we'll get back to work this week and, you know, excited for the for the challenges ahead. Well, your defense was uh, on the field for a long time Saturday. Richmond won the uh, time of possession battle by uh, by a pretty good margin in that one. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's something where, you know, it was unfortunate. We played complimentary football the entire year, and that's kind of been our, our secret sauce, a little bit of kind of controlling the pace of the game, and it was the exact opposite in this one. Uh, the defense was on the field for 82 snaps. Um, that's simply way too much, and, and you know, some of like four or five of the guys on defense, you know, they logged their, their most plays of the entire year. So it was, it was a little bit hot, too. It was, it was in the 70s there, so it was the hottest game we played um, in a few months as well. So that certainly didn't help. So it wasn't a recipe for us to, you know, be, be fresh and finish. Despite the loss, uh, Coach, who stood out uh, for your ball club? Well, defensively, I thought Max Ostadine, uh did a really nice job. He had 12 tackles, flew around. He had a couple of vicious hits, very physical. You know, when the ball did get through our second level from, you know, coming downhill from the safety position, Josiah Silver did a really nice job. Six tackles. He had a sack. Three of those tackles were for loss. So really happy with him. Uh, Bryce Shaw had an interception from the middle linebacker position, which was really nice. Disguised the coverage there. Um, and then on offense, obviously, it was a slow start. But the, within the second half, I thought Max Brosmer came. 277 yards, three touchdowns. He didn't have a turnover. So he was very efficient in that second half. And then Haran Marisot obviously had the 46-yarder that we highlighted earlier of that last play of the half. He also had a, you know, a fourth and we went for it, fourth and two on the two-yard line, uh, fourth and goal there. We decided not to kick the field goal late in the game. Uh, he got he got open there in the back of the end zone, scored a clutch touchdown. So you know, definitely some things we can hang our head on. And then you know, Dylan Lobby with a 100-yard kickoff return. That guy just finds ways to, to be impactful. I think he. Even though he didn't have a ton of offensive stats, he had 169 total yards of offense, which was great. Yeah, absolutely. Wildcats now six and three overall, five and one in the Colonial Athletic Association, tied atop the standings with Richmond and William and Mary. And uh, on Saturday at one, UNH will host a very tough Rhode Island team, also six and three overall, and the Rams a game behind the Wildcats in the conference at four and two. Uh, what can you expect in Saturday's matchup? Well, uh, extremely well coached, as everyone else is in this conference. And I think, you know, their first thing I noticed you turn on the tape, they're really big on both the offensive and defensive lines. Um, you know, they got 300-pounders across the board, mm. a lot of length at the tackle position. Um, their defensive lines, all 300, 315-pound guys, so they're going to be tough to move. Um, and then they got a lot of skill as well. I think a couple guys to highlight. Their tight ends an All-American candidate, Caleb Warren. He does a great job being physical in the run game, but also poses some, some matchup problems in the passing game. And Kasim Hill is somebody who transferred in a couple of years ago has really found his niche in this offense. Uh, he's a dual-threat quarterback that can make plays with his legs. He's got a big-time arm. So uh, it, it, it's going to be you know incredible challenge for us. But for us, it's, it's an opportunity to finish the season the right way and um, just find a way to get back to work this week and, and get a tough one. And it's also it's senior day, too. So yeah. you know, we gotta make, we got to make sure we do the right thing for our guys and see them off the right way. Absolutely. One o'clock kickoff Saturday at uh, Wildcat Stadium. Tickets still available for that one. And Coach, it uh, should be a good one. And uh, we wish you uh, all the best on Saturday against the Rams. Thanks, Ken. Look forward to it. Appreciate it. All right. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Rick. Rick Santos, head football coach at the University of New Hampshire, joining us here on Kale and Company, coming off the loss on Saturday to Richmond, a very, very good team, as are the uh, Wildcats. He will host Rhode Island on Saturday at 1 o'clock. If you haven't been to Durham yet this year for a football game, uh, check it out because it will be the last game at home for the Wildcats this season. Uh, NFL yesterday, if you missed it, Patriots 
Went to 5-4 and four with a 26-3 victory over Indianapolis at Gillette Stadium. Very warm day there as well. Temperature game time. A kickoff was about 75 degrees as it was around here. Uh, the D and the special teams were key for the Patriots uh, yesterday with an interception, a block punt deep in Colts territory, and a team record nine sacks on the day for the Patriots. And how about Nick Folk? He continues his steady pace as the Patriots kicker. He kicked field goals of 49, 43, 43, and 28 yards. The Pats uh, now on a bye week, and they will be hosting the New York Jets on November 20th in Foxborough. Uh, Meanwhile, around the NFL, Sunday night football, Kansas City Chiefs Defeated the Tennessee Titans in overtime, 20-17. Kansas City now 6-2. Tennessee dropping to 5-3. And And Tom Brady was at it again. He rallied the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the final 44 seconds to beat the L.A. Rams 16-13. Brady's uh, 15-yard touchdown pass, uh, uh, 15-yard pass, I should say, to Leonard Fournette in the second quarter. Put Brady over the 100,000-yard mark in career passing yardage. First player in the NFL uh, to ever achieve that mark. And now Tampa Bay is 4-5, and and the L.A. Rams are 3-5 and on the year. And in an auto racing note, Joey Logano captured the NASCAR Cup Championship for 2022 with the victory in Phoenix, Logano's second NASCAR championship, and for team owner Roger Penske, uh, what a year. This has been Penske had a win at Daytona, the NASCAR Cup title, and the IndyCar Championship all in one season. So uh, Roger Penske, the uh, veteran race car owner, uh, was uh, at it again. We are going to take a break coming up on uh, 817 here on uh, Kale and Company Live for a Monday on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region. 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. And following the break, uh, we'll be speaking with Christine Tappan, who is uh, running for state senate in District 17. So stand by for more Kale and Company Live right here on WKXL. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company Live here for a Monday. Great to have you along with us at WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. And uh, right now we uh, are well aware that, uh, you know, so many seats up for grabs around the state, around the country. Tomorrow on Election Day, get out and vote. The uh, District 17 State Senate seat is up for grabs tomorrow. And uh, what makes it uh, really interesting is that it's between a pair of candidates that have never held a Senate seat and one that has never run for statewide office 
in the past. And uh, that's, uh, of course, Christine Tappan, who is joining us right now in the studio. And Christine, great to have you with us. Thank you having me for having me here, Ken. Well, it is it is our pleasure. And uh, first of all, why, why did you decide to uh, enter the the world of statewide politics? Mm. Well, um, that is sort of the critical question of anyone decides to step forward. Um, I have a, a, a record of much of my, both my career as well as in my personal life of serving others. And I actually had contemplated potentially in the future, maybe 10 or so years down the road running. But I think as many folks right now, um, I became kind of called to action at this moment to think about could I serve my community and maybe beyond my community of Northwood, larger here in New Hampshire, in a way that would be meaningful and impactful. Um, And so I decided to step up. um, And I'm glad I did because I feel like I even know New Hampshire better than I did before. Yeah, I'll I'll bet. You you do find that out during a a campaign. There are things that, uh, you know, no matter how long you've lived here, that you will pick up along the campaign trail, which mm-hmm. you probably uh, were not aware of. And I understand, I just found out this out moments ago, that your husband is also running for office. Yes, yes. And I um, I have to share that it was my husband's idea that it was really time for us. We, When we first moved to Northwood back in 1998, we both served our communities fairly quickly. I uh, was elected to the school board and served for a couple of years. And then a short time on the budget committee when someone else had to step off, I offered myself and stepped in. Um, and then we both served in our church as well for many years. But we then turned to government service in other ways to serve people in other ways. And so we've been where we love our community. We really love New Hampshire. And we thought that it could be a moment where the both of us um, would be able to step in and serve. And, and we really believe, you know, I think we're, we both really believe in democracy and in the democratic process. And we, although we are a two-party system, um, and perhaps at some point it would be good to consider maybe there should be alternative parties or additional parties, um, my husband and I both feel it's great for voters when you have choices on the ballot. And so we felt like it was time for us to step up, and we were encouraged to do so. Very good. Well, I congratulate uh, both of you. And uh, he's running for the House. Yes, he's running for House District 1, which is Northwood and Nottingham. Uh, outstanding. So, for those who, who don't know, and uh, you, you have certainly, uh, you know, served your your country, you've served your community. Just give us a little bit of a, a biographical sketch of Christine Tappan. Sure. Um, so, I was raised in a two-parent blue-collar family. Um, my mother did eventually go to college. My father did one year in college. But my parents were just really hardworking people. Um, we were. Um, we were raised to really believe that you um, you are part of a community, first and foremost. You're part of a family. You're part of a community. And that service with and for others is something that you should do throughout your life. Uh, with that in mind, my, my dad actually was an electrician. Um, he was IBEW, um, Local 8 in Toledo, Ohio, and later um, also in Nevada. Um, And our union brothers and sisters were part of my family and community. And it was always in service to others that my parents um, demonstrated with my sisters and I uh, what democracy really means. And that's the ability to listen to others, collaborate, know that your way is not always the only way, that you really need to open up and be um, uh, just really solid in listening to people and hearing what varying perspectives and experiences are. So that's really when I got ready to go to college. My parents didn't hadn't really set enough aside. Um, but honestly, that worked well for me. I um, 
decided after graduating from high school out in Nevada that I um, wanted to actually be all I could be in the Army. Uh, Ronald Reagan was president at the time, and I was really grateful for the opportunity to both go in and serve. I served in military intelligence um, and then also to earn money that eventually helped me to go to college. Um, while I was in the military, I came here to Massachusetts, uh, came to New England, which I always thought was just one of the most beautiful places in our country. I'd never been here. And I was at Mass in Massachusetts at Fort Devens mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, went through intelligence school there and met my husband. And he brought me for my first time to the state of New Hampshire. And I literally just got chills saying that um, because the first time that we drove over the border and I saw this beautiful place, I really hoped that would be my, my home someday. And it, be it became that. Um, we actually were um, sent to Germany. This was during the Cold War. Mm. Um, and my husband and I served in Germany as military analysts um, for, for um, a couple of years there and lived there. Um, while we were there, um, I actually, um, we decided to start our family. Um, we felt like we had the right sort of economic pieces in place, and um, we were young, um, but we were um, we felt like we were in a good place, and so we had our first child there, Josh. And I decided at that point that, um, particularly when I learned at that point during the Cold War, um, the decision was I would have to give guardianship of my child because I was in a unit that would go to the front lines if we were called up. And so um, we decided that for our family it was best if I got out. Um, and I decided to serve military families in a different way. And I became one of the a child care provider certified there in the early beginnings of when they started to certify child care providers. And really um, enjoyed and appreciated um, serving the families in my, um, literally in my housing community, yeah. right there where we lived nice. in Wiesbaden, Germany. Um, and that became my calling in life, really, Howard. It, it just, it really, how can we serve others if not thinking about what are the immediate needs right in front of us? And so um, that has carried me forward. After we got out of the military, we came here to the University of New Hampshire. Um, we both used our, you know, they're called veterans benefits now, right. but our yeah. GI benefits, yeah. and we both got our bachelor's degrees. Um, I worked here in New Hampshire in state government for the first time in the early 90s um, for the Department of Health and Human Services, and I've been there three times. Um, most recently, I served under Governor Sununu um, from um, 2017 to 2020, and it was and it was such an honor. And it really was the culmination of my career and my service to bring together. I've worked in, I've worked in business and for profit. I've worked in nonprofits. I've worked in education, both in K through six or K through eight and higher education. And I've learned a lot across my career. And and I really was excited when Governor Sununu asked me to step up and serve. We had a lot of challenges in front of us: our mental health crisis and um, housing and child welfare in particular. And so I was really able to bring together much of what I learned, which is really that it takes um, government alone is not it's not the right one to solve problems alone. You need business. You need community members. You need those who are actually impacted by whatever problem or challenges you're trying to solve. Um, you need nonprofits um, and you need philanthropists. Uh, you know, our foundations play a critical role. And so that's really been the hallmark of my service to others is bringing people together, trying to together understand the issues from all the diverse perspectives, and then bring about viable solutions that are cost-effective, cost efficient, and frankly, sustainable, that they can be held out over time. 
Well, thanks uh, to both you and your husband for your service uh, to our country. We, uh, we appreciate that and your service uh, locally uh, as well. And growing up in Toledo, Ohio. Yes, I was born there. Yep. Home of the Mud Hens. Yes. Yep. I, well, and actually, I have to say, I was I, the joke in my family is I was born a Buckeye, uh-huh. but I was raised a Wolverine. Okay. So we moved, we moved just <laughs> over the border. Um, I am a, a big um, Brady, actually attended the University of Michigan, yes, and did. that's where I got yep. my master's degree in social work. Um, and so um, my family, um, I have loved ones still who live in Toledo, and I have many still in Michigan, and we always sort of navigate that Ohio-Michigan game every fall. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's where college football is huge exactly. in, in that uh, in that part of the country. And we have to take a break. I just hear the music in my headsets here. We have to uh, take a short break, but we'll be back with more. Christine Tappan is with us. She is running for state senate in District 17. We'll take a quick break. Uh, Back with more, Uh, Christine will uh, tell us where she stands on uh, some of the issues that that are concerned to uh, all of us at the WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 on the FM dial in the Concord area, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. We will be right back. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live for this Monday. Great to have you along with us. And our guest in studio today is Christine Tappan. She is running for state senate in District 17 uh, against Howard Pearl. And uh, Christine, what, what are some of the differences that, that uh, uh, you and, uh, and Howard have? How do you separate from one another? Sure. So um, as I have, um, I, I'd like to share a little bit about the bike tour that I did and kind of use that That's, to navigate. I was going um, to ask you about the trek uh, last week. Yeah. 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 So How did that go? It was great. We did over 100 miles, 102 miles, um, riding from Northfield um, and uh, all the way to Nottingham, stopping at a variety of businesses yeah. and, oh my goodness, had a lot of great food to eat along the way. I have to say that um, Barnstead's Country Store has the best chicken fingers. Um that I've had in New Hampshire. Really? Yeah. So a little yeah. shout out to them. And yeah. then, oh my goodness, the cider donuts at the Canterbury, uh, excuse me, the Chichester Country Store. Oh, Canterbury's oh, good I love too, those. But, uh, I yes. love those. I've been there too many times. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We hung, we wound up hanging out there for a healthy hour because folks were really, we went in a couple of times to get the donuts. Yeah. Um, that was great. Um, but I think part of what for me, in terms of the issues at hand, many were 
reaffirmed when I got out on the bike tour. And just as a little backstory, in part I did the bike story because unfortunately I broke my ankle at the beginning of June. Oh, boy. And it was taking a long time to heal over the summer. And um, not to go off my story, but part of why it took the long term to heal was um, I was having difficulty getting physical therapy because of the healthcare worker shortage. Um, and so um, as the summer went on and I wasn't able to knock on as many doors as I want, I put out calls and I was so excited people were um, making phone calls to me and uh, emailing and texting. But I really wanted to get out on the ground and I'd had difficulty doing that all summer. So my team and I talked about how might we, how might I be able to do that in a way that really I can get to some of those roads that aren't as commonly traveled, but also to some of those places where people have conversation, like the two businesses I just mentioned. Those are conversation centers in our community. Um, I also wanted to hear directly from some business owners, and I was, you know, thrilled to be welcomed to the Highland Mountain Bike Center by Mark Hayes. Nice. Um, that was really a great visit. Also at Salty Dog Pottery um, by Teresa, and um, just, you know, many places, the Copper House in Epsom. And hearing from both business owners and, um, you know, voters along the journey, I actually had um, dinner at the home of Francesca Mathis, who lives in Loudoun. She invited us in for tacos. Um was was really um, affirmed many of the reasons I decided to run. And, and those really have to do with, first and foremost, affordability. Um, people just, you know, the, on, the energy cost increases here in New Hampshire, really thinking about, um, certainly I recognize that there are national and international influences on our costs here in our state, but what can we do in our state and in our local communities to try to mitigate some of these costs, to try to bring them down for families? Um, it's such a pain point. You know, I knew what my own electricity bill was going up by, but mm. in Loudoun, I was able to hear from Betty, who's 88 years old. And not only was she concerned because her electric bill went up $100 a month and she's mm. 88 living on Social Security. Right. Um, she has caregivers in her home because she has complicated health issues. But she also, the day before, had just gotten um, an indication, a notice in the mail that her f- property taxes were going to go up $400 a month. And between those two things, she was not sure she was going to be able to stay in her own home. Um, With Sean and Kelly, a a young family in Pembroke, I heard about Sean, who shared with me that he's a libertarian. And I shared with him that I have been, I was undeclared for well over a decade. Um, When I decided to run um, in June, I had to declare a party. You have Mm -hmm. to do that in New Hampshire. And I, you know, I just looked at both platforms and, you know, did some soul searching and really felt like the Democratic Party was more a fit for me. But Sean and I had a great conversation. And he said, you know, I'm a libertarian. I want limited government. But at the same time, my, you know, my wife Kelly drives to work in a nursing home every evening at night, and I don't want her on the roads that haven't been repaired or fixed. And she said, it just feels like there's a cut, 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 cut mentality of our services and our programs here in New Hampshire. And he's concerned about quality education for his little girl, and they have a baby on the way. And he and his, he and Kelly both went to their local school, um, and they want their daughter to go to their local public school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both talked about, um, you know, I believe in some choice. I think, you know, having some alternative school options for kids. I had 
I had one, I have two sons. Um, my husband, I've been married for 38 years and I have one 30 year old and one 20 something year old. And, um, you know, my older son really liked the traditional public school system. He did really great in that. But my, my younger one was more of a hands-on guy. Um, and we looked for some alternatives. We, um, both of our kids attended Christian schools at, at one point. And I live in Northwood where we actually um, have a public, uh, excuse me, a private school. That is where our, hi- our high school students go to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Kelly and Sean and I all talked about these different things. And it was really, how can we create the options, um, the choices that all families want to be able to make that's right for their family without undermining public services that really keep us strong, that are our infrastructure, our backbone in our communities. Um, and that's really what I want to strive for. I really, um, I'm a moderate. Um, I don't believe in a broad-based sales or income tax. I just don't think we need that right now. Um, we have a $400 million surplus in New Hampshire. I just want to spend that money really well. And I think that there are ways that we could be using our money more efficiently and really be, like I said, providing the strong infrastructure of good quality public schools, good health care, mental health and substance use services, good roads, you know, really attending to our climate, making sure that we can, you know, minimize climate change as much and particularly the health impact on, on kids and families. And so my in- intent is really to um, work across the aisle um, as John Reagan, who was the, the Senate candidate, right. here, you know, senator here in yeah. Um, uh, District 17 shared about me. I am independent. Um, I, you know, I'm honest. I'm very forthright. Uh, he and I worked on a lot of legislation related to vulnerable children and families. I'm so grateful for um, the work that he and I and others were able to do together. And I worked with both Republicans and Democrats equally and absolutely feel like the independent voice is super important here in New Hampshire. And we need to continue to lift that up as well. Well, you talked about the, the bike trek that, that you were on and mm-hmm. experienced some nice delicacies along the way. Did, did many people make the trip or the trek with you? They did. Yeah. So I actually had um, an attorney that lives in um, Northfield. Sean um, jumped on his bike and rode with me up to the Northfield Center. I have to admit, um, I was using an electric-assisted bike, ah. and he rode with just his own two legs all the way to the top, <laughs> which was pretty amazing. Um, I also um, rode with several candidates along the way. So the bike trip had a couple of different goals. Um, the first one, um, as I, I, I think you know, our District 17 changed. We had a different yeah. um, mix of towns. And I really wanted to raise for voters because as I was beginning to talk with people, they weren't clear who was their candidate. And so that was the first thing that I really wanted to do, just raise awareness of the district and help people to know what district they were in. Second, I also wanted to certainly raise awareness of me as a candidate, but also other candidates that um, people might not be aware of because of those district changes. And so um, David Nesbitt, who is a candidate um, uh, up in the Canterbury-Loudon area, it stretches across many other towns, but in that area. David Nesbitt rode along with me. I also had Beth Rousseau and Epsom ride along with me. My own husband, Bill, uh, rode rode along with me through Northwood and Nottingham. Um, And the, you know, the I think that we were able to reach all of our goals. Folks really appreciated um, just this idea of follow, being able to follow me on a map and learn all the 12 towns in the in the district. And then also to know that, um, you know, that what I was hearing or what I thought were going to be the important issues were, in fact, the important issues. And I'll, I'll just share some of the things, though, that I also learned. So 
Um, you know, early on, I didn't know as a candidate, you get this whole um, array of surveys that are sent to you. And, um, you know, citizens count as a way that you can see uh, some of the positions right. that folks have. Yeah. And um, and so I got this list right at the beginning. And a couple of things that I think I've learned more about along the way is um, I am um, in support of potentially looking at marijuana legalization, but I really want to do it in a smart way. Um, I've had a chance to talk with other health and human service professionals out in Washington State and Colorado and kind of got some of their advice. But I wanted to hear what New Hampshire voters thought about it. And I was um, really uh, intrigued that many of them think it's a good idea. They would just like to have it really well structured, potentially along the lines of um, our liquor stores. And that was something I didn't know in the beginning. Um, I didn't really understand that, you know, how much thought a lot of people had put into that. So that's something I would really be in support of thinking through. How can we do this in a way that's safe um, and um, really make sure that we're using the efficient infrastructure we already have here in New Hampshire? That's that's really one of my hallmarks. But um, I also think that any new revenue that we generate should absolutely go to mental health and substance use services, um, while also maybe helping to support some other other kinds of services that we want to be able to bring forward. Well, we're speaking with Christine Tappan, running for state senate in District 17, and unfortunately, our, our time is coming to an end. Maybe in, in, in like 30 seconds or so, tell us about birch walking. Oh, thank you so much for offering that opportunity. So, yeah, so um, 30 seconds. Um, so uh, one of the things about our health and human services field right now, as I mentioned, I was having difficulty getting a health professional for my own physical therapy. But we all know um, we have a mental health crisis. It's not just here in New Hampshire. It's around the world. Particularly COVID showed us that. Um, but what we've had in New Hampshire for a while is a limited mental health system. And some of the folks who need mental health support are health and human service professionals. Um, I know in my own history and as a trained social worker that vicarious trauma or the trauma that when you hear about other people's trauma on a day-to-day basis, um, that can be really difficult, right? And it can affect whether you stay in the field or not. And we need people right. to stay in the field. So I started birch walking after learning about the research and evidence about around getting out in nature. Um, what I do as a trained guide is I just create a really safe place. So I take responsibility for making sure that the bears aren't going to come get you. <laughs> um, and we've got a lot more wildlife out there, we know, right? Um, but then I, I lead people in a, in a um, it actually has a, a series of sequenced events that are research and evidence informed. And what I'm hearing from the people I'm doing this, and I do it at a very low cost um, and often free for people, um, is that I'm hearing that it's opening them up and helping to relieve some of that stress. Anything I can do to keep people from burning out when they want to be serving others in as counselors, as doctors, as nurses, um, as psychologists, as folks that can help us get through our, the, the issues that we have right now. I, I needed to do that. So that's why I did it. I just run it as a small business. I'm excited. There is an interest in a lot of people have an interest and want it to grow. And I just want to take the time to do it well and do it right. And um, so thank you for asking me about that. And, and where can people get more information? Um, so they can get more information um, from me on, on my website, Tappan for New Hampshire Senate, and they can get more information about birch walking on birchwalking.earth. Very good. Christine Tappan, a pleasure to meet you today, and uh, we wish you the best of luck tomorrow, Election Day. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for being with us, and we'll take a break. Kale and Company on WKXL continues right after these words. 
Welcome back, Kale and Company, for a Monday. We are live on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. And if you want to hear hear this program again, you can do it tonight, right after 7 o'clock here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Joining us now, the longtime voice of men's hockey and now women's hockey at Merrimack College in North Andover, Massachusetts, John Leahy. John, welcome back. Ken, thank you. Great to be here. Always great to hear your voice, John. And I know, I know it was a very good weekend for your men's team with a pair of wins over the Boston College Eagles. Yeah, in fact, it was the first. It was the first time that uh, Merrimack has ever uh, swept Boston College in a season, Ken. So, uh, long history between uh, the Warriors and the Eagles, and uh, Merrimack was able to win the first one on Thursday at home, and then just a terrific performance uh, down in Chestnut Hill on Saturday afternoon. So, uh, in fact, I'll be talking to Coach uh, Scott Borak in about an hour on, wow. a, on, a, on my podcast. So, I'm curious to get his thoughts about the weekend, but. Yeah, extremely good weekend for Merrimack, and we, we certainly hope that continues. Yeah, and uh, I, first of all, tell tell people how they can uh, or get your podcast. Well, the podcast is called Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth, and it's accessible pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. We're on Apple, um, uh, Spotify, uh, those are the two big ones, but uh, a simple search should do the trick. But uh, like I said, they're on the two main ones. So uh, we publish content every Wednesday, Ken, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no no doubt about that. As it was a great weekend for the uh, Merrimack Warriors men's team, uh, not such a great uh, weekend for the UNH Wildcats as uh, they dropped a, a pair of uh, decisions to Northeastern. Yeah, Northeastern's a really good team, and a lot of people had them pegged for finishing either first or second in Hockey East. Um, so Matthews Arena, a very difficult place to win hockey games, and uh, you know, the Wildcats put up a good fight, but uh, you know, still a lot of hockey left, Ken, and as you know, as, as most people know, uh, Hockey East is a grind uh, every night when teams get together, so on any given night, uh, any team can step up, so it's far from over. Well, right now, the uh, Yukon Huskies currently sit atop the Hockey East men's standings, uh, but only four points separate the top five teams uh, in the conference. So, as you said, it, it is a grind. There's no doubt about that. Yukon right now number eight in the country, and uh, UMass Amherst is uh, number five nationally in both polls. Yeah, I mean, I really love what Yukon has done, Ken. Uh, Mike Cavanaugh has done a tremendous job down there in uh, stores with that UConn program. Uh, I think they're building off the momentum of last year. They played UMass in the Hockey East Championship game at TD Garden. They lost the game in overtime. But a lot of excitement down there with the new arena going in. And, uh, you know, UConn is just playing terrific hockey, and and I have no doubt they're going to sustain that throughout the course of the year. So, uh, But, yeah, in terms of the top four teams being – uh, right there, you know, you've got UConn with uh, 16 points, Northeastern with 16, Providence is playing tremendous hockey, they've got 13, UMass Lowell also with 13, Merrimack at 12, and, uh, you know, you mentioned UMass, 
the Minutemen had a tough weekend against Providence as they lost uh, seven to four on Friday and then an overtime on Saturday. But they've got the Carvel factor, Greg Carvel. Uh, they're outstanding head coach, so uh, Minutemen are going to win their share of games. It's going to be a terrific race throughout the season. When is the uh, new rink at UConn scheduled to open? Well, they've been they've been talking about it. Um, I, I don't know if I have an exact date on that, Ken. Uh, I, I, I'm guessing it's probably going to be done at least you know halfway through the season. Oh, really? Uh, it it oh. may be ready, or, or I, I haven't received a, a, a final date on that. I know. Well, when Merrimack goes down there, it's going to be at the XL Center, and I, I know UConn will continue to play some games at the XL Center, right. so they're not going to they're not going to abandon it uh, completely. But um, yeah, a lot of excitement. The men and the women are going to play down there, and uh, I know the the folks down in Connecticut are really excited about it. No doubt about it. A, uh, an on campus uh, hockey rink for the uh, UConn Huskies. Well, the uh uh, as far as the women's uh, bracket and uh, the Hockey East standings are concerned, uh, Merrimack, I know, swept uh, Holy Cross uh, over the weekend. Yeah, a pretty workman effort for Merrimack. They, uh, After a scoreless first period Friday, they scored three goals in the second period and went on to the 4 nothing win. I, I thought Holy Cross made a lot of adjustments on Saturday. Uh, it was a terrific game. It was a back-and-forth game. Uh, you know, they went back and forth, and, and Holy Cross scored what a, appeared to be the game-tying goal in the last minute and a half, but the officials reviewed it and uh, nullified it. So uh, you look at Holy Cross's record, and, and that team is way better than what their record shows. Uh, they've been having some struggles putting the puck in the net, but uh, if Holy Cross continues to keep doing what they're doing, uh, they're going to win their share of hockey games. But, uh, you know, Merrimack's on a little bit of a run now. Um, Warriors will play UNH this weekend, as a matter of fact, on the women's side. They'll play at the Whittemore Center on Friday at 5 o'clock and then uh, back on Saturday at 2 o'clock. In fact, I have a doubleheader on Saturday. I've got the women at 2, Merrimack and UNH, and then the men will play Maine uh, on uh, at 7 o'clock that night. So it'll be a busy uh, weekend for sure, but uh, we're looking forward to some great hockey, Ken. So get those vocal cords rested, John Leahy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I... It's funny, you know, I have the doubleheader Saturday, but I also have a men's game the night before. Merrimack and Maine are playing uh, two games. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's a lot of work, but, but a lot of fun. It's a grind for the teams and sometimes for the broadcasters uh, as well uh, in Hockey East, especially if you're doing uh, both men's and uh, women's games. So you wind up with uh, with a lot of doubleheaders and a lot of busy weekends for sure. Uh, UNH Wildcat women had a, a tough time with head, co- head coach uh, Dave Flint's Northeastern Huskies. And, John, those uh, Huskies uh, on the women's side are starting to run away with uh, with the Hockey East title. Yeah, they're a, tr- yeah. Yeah, Kent, yeah, they're a tremendous team. They, they just they roll four lines. They can score. Uh, defensively, they're, they're, they're airtight, and uh, their goaltending is among the best in the country. So, you know, a lot of people have mentioned that they feel that uh, Northeastern uh, is a strong candidate to win the whole thing. Uh, certainly on the women's side, I've heard some arguments for the men as well. But uh, Dave Flint has done a, a terrific job at Northeastern, and I think the Huskies are on the verge of, of something special nationally. Um, still, certainly a lot of hockey to be played in Hockey East. Uh, they have an eight-point lead over both Providence and Vermont. Um, but uh, I, I think this Northeastern team is the class of the league. And, uh, you know, I know UNH put up a good fight this weekend, but uh, 
you know, no shame in, in losing to Northeastern because they are a juggernaut. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I mentioned Dave Flint, who was a New Hampshire native, uh, went to Spalding High School in Rochester and won a, a state title with the uh, Spalding High Red Raiders during his uh, playing career uh, at at uh, Spalding High School in Rochester. But he has really, he's been there quite some time now at Northeastern and has, as you said, John, put together an absolute juggernaut. Yeah, Dave has really done a tremendous job there. And, you know, the the, the Northeastern women's players, uh, they bought into his system. Uh, they work well together. As I said, uh, just a whole lot of talent on that team. I, when Northeastern came to Merrimack a few weeks ago, uh, they outshot the Warriors 53-4. to Wow. And uh, mm-hmm. they had a lot of zone time. You know, if, if you take a look at the time of possession in, in hockey, I don't know that that's an actual stat. I think it actually is. But uh, the puck was in the Merrimack zone virtually the entire game. So uh, they're polished, they're talented, and they they, uh, they play great hockey. And uh, no surprise to see them in first place. That describes you, John Leahy, polished and talented. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Ken, everything I learned, I learned from you. Oh, so yeah. Let's, yeah. Let, let's take uh, a step well, back. Then I, I must have been an incredible teacher then, if that's, if that's true. <laughs> but it's really not. But, John, I appreciate the kind words, and uh, always great to have you on talking Hockey East. And uh, let's say we do it again uh, next Monday at the same time. Ken, I look forward to you. Uh, happy Election Day tomorrow, and uh, thanks so much for having me on. John, always uh, my pleasure. Thank you for doing it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ken. And as John said, uh, Election Day tomorrow. Get out and vote. Exercise your constitutional privilege. Get to the polls. It's very important. This is probably going to be the most important election of your lifetime. So make some wise choices. And we will uh, join you. Check in with some of the candidates uh, tomorrow as well on the Tuesday. Kale and Company here on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Have a great Monday.